0: Welcome everybody to the Saints and Scholars podcast. We're delighted to be back as always. I'm joined by Marcus and of course Bosco. Very special guest for you today. Hope you're gonna enjoy it. We've got Dr. E. Michael Jones coming up shortly. But first, we'll just uh, say a quick prayer just to get the show started. Spirit I know in the
1: name of her day. We're going to
2: pack well, in. Amen.
3: Saint Oliver Plunkett, pray for us. Welcome to the show and welcome to another episode of Saints and Scholars. Uh, very happy to introduce a great guest here. We've had him on before. It's Dr. E Michael Jones from Indiana in the United States. Um I'll invite Dr. Jones to tell a bit about himself if I'm sure most irish uh, our Irish audience would know who Dr. Jones is at this rate. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself there, Dr. Yes. Jones?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, I'm the editor of Culture Wars magazine. I'm half Irish. My grandfather came from Cork uh, at the beginning of the twentieth century. Uh, I've been doing this magazine and this type of work. Uh, for over 40 years now, was once a professor, uh, but got fired. I was ahead of my time and getting kicked out of academe. I've also taught in Germany. And my whole life has pretty much been spent trying to figure out what happened to me when I was growing up. I was born into an Irish neighborhood in Philadelphia, and suddenly we were kicked out of our neighborhood. And and uh, then we had the sexual revolution. And I started to realize a long time ago that I was a guinea pig in an experiment that no one ever told me about. And this is important because Ireland is a nation of guinea pigs right now. And I think we yeah. can uh, share information here that will allow the Irish to understand what, hap- what is happening to them right now, because it's a function of what happened to me when I was a child.
3: Great, I suppose if I can throw back at you a tweet that you issued, which is the reason why we wanted you on, and I'll read it here. It says, uh, when the Irish rejected the laws that Catholic rulers put into their constitution, ensuring the right to life, they opened the door to the police state, which now rules them with an iron rod. Um, I suppose, as you're well aware, that Ireland are about to enact some of the most draconian Anti-speech laws uh, right. in the world.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Would you care I saw, to? I, saw, I sure. I just saw some uh, Irish uh, minister uh, say, "Oh, it's it's not going to control uh, thought. It's just to get the hate out of speech." Well, right. who are you kidding, fella? Who who gets to determine what hate is? I, exactly. I know who it is. I know who it is. I uh, matter of fact, I know the people who invented the term hate speech. It's known as the Anti-Defamation League. It's a Jewish operation in the United States and their big campaign took place in 2019 where they were going to eliminate from the internet anyone whose speech they did not like. They are the creators of hate speech. They're the people who are in charge of the hate speech campaign in Ireland. No matter who seems to be in front of it, they are behind it because it's their concept. Now, yeah. one, other, one other thing, that speech, that quote that you just did, is my paraphrase of a statement that appeared in Civiltà Cattolica in 1890. Civiltà yeah. Cattolica is the official magazine of the Vatican. It came into existence under Pius IX in around 1840, 1848, 1850, as a as a reaction to the revolutions that swept through Europe, including Italy, during that period of time. And the occasion for that article, it's actually a set of series of three articles, was the French Revolution. Particularly the hundredth anniversary of the French Revolution. And the Vatican is thinking. What is the consequence of a hundred years of revolution in France? What's the consequence? And the conclusion they came to was that anyone, any country that rebels against the laws that were put in place by Christian rulers, will end up being ruled by Jews. Yeah. That's the official magazine of the Catholic Church. They're the ones who said it. Where can you find a Catholic priest or bishop who's going to say that now?
3: yeah it's uh i mean ostensibly our constitution is littered and i don't use that term profanely but um there's a lot of references to natural law um he uses the words inalienable imprescriptible antecedent to positive law it in our preamble albeit it's not directly juridical there is a reference to the holy trinity and for some reason uh as our constitution evolved, inverted commas we've gone from a natural law interpretation or what ought to be a natural law interpretation of our constitution to a very positivist one whereas you know uh when there is a positivist interpretation of any law you can infuse or uh, uh reverse engineer any outcome you want especially when it comes to a very manipulated zeitgeist. Um, right. Yeah, so well I look, think- there,
1: there, there, there are only two options here. There is reason, which is what the natural law is, and there's anti-reason. And if you choose to go with anti-reason, you, you create a subjective state, a state based on subjective criteria, yeah. like this hate speech law, which is based on perception, The International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition of uh, anti-Semitism is a certain perception. Yes. I I, look, I don't have the faintest idea what your perceptions are. You may be drunk. You may have taken LSD. I don't know what your perceptions are, but I do know one thing. You can't base the law on perceptions. If you do if you do there are certain consequences that follow and when you the i'm i'm the same thing has happened in england i just got a uh uh uh, uh an email from an irishman living in london who was uh, trying to protest against abortion clinics and their law is now based on any t- any sense of uh fear or intimidation that somebody might feel. Well, we can't tell what Fear or intimidation. I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you have irrational phobias. But anyway, they use this as an excuse because what you have now, if you turn away from the natural law, which is the basis of or should be the basis of all positive law, you have a state in which truth is the opinion of the powerful. And that's the situation we're in across the world right now. The oligarchs are drunk with power. They want to make a world in which truth. Is the opinion of the powerful. Yeah. This is goes. This goes all the way back to the beginning of Western civilization, because there was a debate in Plato, in which uh, Socrates uh, gets into an argument with Thrasymachus, was a sophist, and Thrasymachus says justice is the opinion of the powerful, and Socrates argues, no, there's something called truth, and it transcends any type of. Uh, ideology based on whether you're powerful or not. It transcends, it's bigger than any one person. That's yeah. the situation we're in right now.
3: I suppose as an Irishman we can trace really the demise of the uh, Irish constitution with regard, I believe this is my contention, with a fairly infamous Supreme Court justice called uh, Justice Brian Walsh. And he was notable for um, discovering unenumerated rights in the Irish constitution. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to read this to you and and get your take from it. Um, Walsh was one of the intellectuals at the time who sided with Noel Brown against the Catholic hierarchy with regard to the protection of the family unit and the role of Catholic principles in that protection. Walsh in the infamous McGee case which conferred on couples in a four to one decision a right to privacy in marital affairs was entirely unmoved by the fact that many people in Ireland might still regard the use of contraception as morally wrong. Now I'd interject here, Walsh apparently was a devout Catholic, but Walsh declared, the fact that the use of contraceptives may offend against the moral code of a majority of its citizens does not per se justify an intervention by the state to prohibit their use within marriage. And I believe this is the moment that natural law began to be
1: undermined. Right. right. Not only that, it's the minute that representative government went down the drain in Ireland. If you can yeah. pass laws according to those criteria, then there is no representative government. It's an absolutely meaningless uh, concept. But yeah. Yeah. the other the other point is, what what year was that? That would have been uh, late sixties, early seventies. It's exact an exact replication of Griswold versus Connecticut, the Supreme Court decision uh, in the United States of America. That was nineteen sixty five, and in that uh, decision. Uh, they said, uh, the Supreme Court concluded that uh, the right to contraception, of course, was an emanation from a penumbra. A penumbra yeah. is half, half a shadow. So it's an uh, emanation from a penumbra of the Constitution, which means that the black, uh, 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 Hugo Black and the other guy, forget his name, made it up. They completely made it up. And once that right of privacy was established there in 65, it was it took only eight years, 1973, before it was trotted out again to create a right to abortion. And at that point, you had a, tremendous, a huge change in the American Constitution. I, I, I'm sorry, not the, yeah, in the Constitution, but in the character of the American people. Now, why do I say that? because i was I was seventeen years old in nineteen sixty five. And I'm in high school. I go to a Catholic high school in a suburb of Philadelphia, which has lots of Irish Catholics, and the Irish Catholics produced lots of nuns, and they created these high schools all around Philadelphia, all in Philadelphia, in addition to the diocesan yeah. high schools. And at this point, the nuns, started preaching feminism. It didn't happen overnight, but you could see it coming in. And as soon as the nuns start preaching feminism, the girls start acting out. And as soon as the girls start acting out, they're going to get pregnant sooner or later. And as soon as they get yeah. pregnant, they're faced with a crisis. Like what do I do now? And there're only two choices. You can either have the baby or you can kill the baby. Uh, yeah. You can, If you're a Catholic girl, you can go to confession, you can have your sin forgiven, but you're going to have the baby and that baby is going to affect your life. Or you can rebel against the law, the natural law, which says you should not kill anyone, much less your own hmm. children. And then uh, you, be, uh, that rebellion gets politicized. It gets turned into this movement called feminism. Which is a Jewish revolutionary movement. And at that point, all these Catholic girls became Jews. Now, how do I why do I say that? Because they started acting like Jews. And how do I know they started acting like Jews? Because they started voting like Jews. And so you have to, you, you go to the present, this last election. There's a Jew who's running for governor of the state of Pennsylvania. There aren't enough Jews in Pennsylvania to get anyone elected. Did. They can't do this by themselves. The, the swing vote in states, certainly states like Pennsylvania, is the Catholic vote. And what you had was large numbers of Catholic women who had been incorporated into the Democratic Party through feminism, voting like Jews, electing this Jew who, who, who was famous. The only thing it was everybody and he knew about him was the fact that he had persecuted the Catholic Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, when he was the DA there, by going after Catholic clergy accusing them of abuse 300 people got their 300 priests had their pictures published and after a grand jury handed down a, a decision which said basically one priest could be indicted this is the type of outrage that got perpetrated by the sexual revolution this is the logical outcome of the sexual revolution and they knew it that's why they did it yeah that's very
3: interesting i mean Walsh, to refer back to that judge who's very, very um, incidental, or not incidental, but very pivotal when it comes to the Irish, or the interpretation of the Irish Constitution, I'd like your take on this as well, if you don't mind. He went on to argue that judges must therefore, as best they can, from their training and experience, interpret these rights in accordance with their, inverted commas, ideas of prudence, justice and charity. So effectively what this particular judge who uh, had claimed that the natural law was very important in the Irish constitution and it was a practicing Catholic. And of course, natural law, as you said earlier on, Dr. Jones is an objective principle of truth. Yet this particular judge was willing to defer to individuals to decide their relativist understanding Of what the truth was in contradiction, therefore, to his previous assessment that the natural law was pivotal in the Irish constitution.
1: Right. So you're saying, if this man is saying the natural law is subjective, he's contradicting himself. Exactly. The natural law is objective. But when he says that, the, the key is, well, oh good, we're liberated from the natural law. You can't be liberated from the natural law. What this yeah. man did by saying that is, he said the truth is the opinion of the powerful. In other words, I'm going to interpret the natural law because I'm a judge. And I don't know about this guy's background, but it's pretty clear which side of the, uh, that it's their advantages to going along with the rich and the powerful. So I, as a judge, especially a Catholic judge, this is exactly the ploy they used in Roe versus Wade, the abortion decision. They got a, a, a Catholic to sign off on the decision. I am now going to say the truth is the opinion of the powerful. Uh yeah. that's what happened here. Now, the other the other point here is you need a catholic to do the dirty work here. Yeah. Especially if you live in a catholic culture like Ireland or even a country that is supposedly secular where the catholics are, are nonetheless powerful, you need a catholic to do the dirty work. And so what we're starting to realize here is the role that uh, Notre Dame University played in the whole corruption of Ireland, in the yeah. whole takeover oligarchic takeover of Ireland. Mary uh, Robinson, Mary McAleese, they all ended up teaching at, at Notre Dame University. They're given these cushy jobs. just is their reward for betraying the 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 Irish people uh, at the behest of people like uh, this man uh, Sean McGraw. Who wrote a book about Catholic primary education in Ireland? So yeah. McAlise, I don't know. At some point, she went completely crazy and started to say that she she's a Catholic. She'd thump her chest and say she, how Catholic she was, and then she'd say, "And we're going to ban baptism. We have to ban baptism because that infant cannot give consent." Yeah. So at this at this point, you have people like uh, the people at Notre Dame uh the fighting irish as they're called they they come into the room and they say no no wait a minute calm down mary uh, we we agree with you it's a bad thing but yeah. that's not the best way to go about it yeah. what we're proposing this is what they propose in their book let's let's forget about banning baptism that's never going to fly but what we can do is stop we will no longer make baptism a requirement for going to the catholic school yeah. And that's the way they infiltrated the Catholic schools and that's the way they ended up with the same outcome that we had in the suburbs of Philadelphia in the 60s and the 70s when the fe- when the nuns converted to feminism and the ch- uh, the children there the teenagers all became sexually active. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean it's um I think we're in a diabolical state of affairs here in Ireland and I think the oligarchs have definitely decided to, uh, I suppose, uh, set up an encampment in Ireland with regards to uh, undermining any form of political dissent. And of course, like the, we had Father Sheehy, who had the temerity to give a Catholic sermon in a Catholic church, a couple of months ago, and he was hounded by the media. And uh, of course, his own bishop reprimanded him, and none of the other bishops came to his aid, and this is the sad reality of now Catholicism in Ireland.
1: And um, people it's, are it's looking the, for leadership. It, you're right. It, it's the, look. It's not just Ireland. This this uh, this Holy Week. If you went to Mass in South Bend, Indiana, uh, you open up the missalette, and there's a warning. It says, uh, reading the gospel of St. John may cause you to become an anti-Semite. Yeah. Never in the history of the Catholic Church has any Catholic been subjected to this type of abuse. Yeah. Never. And yeah. then the Australian bishops, to give another another uh, main point of the Irish diaspora, the Australian bishops say that... Uh, oh, the Gospels are not reliable guides. They're not accurate in portraying the Pharisees. Yeah. Do you mean they're not true? Is that what you're saying? Well, St. John said at the end of the Gospel, he said it's true. And his followers said, we we know this is true because he was there and he saw it. Well, if you're going to undermine the truthfulness of the Gospel, if you're going to say the Gospel is dangerous to read, well, what, what what aren't you going to say? No wonder these people are not going to support a bishop when he— I'm sorry, support a priest. No wonder these bishops are not going to support a priest when he, when he attempts to proclaim the gospel. Of course not. And we would not be in this situation if it weren't for these, these, this betrayal across the board. But the main vehicle of this betrayal has been Catholic-Jewish dialogue, which has been a curse on this church ever since it got inaugurated following vatican ii yeah
3: how would if i pose this to you dr Jones? that um during the Vendée Re- or during the french revolution which are very well educated in but also the cristero revolution you had the jurist priests in the french revolution and you had a, a complete abdication by many of the hierarchy in the mexican revolution um is like what I'm trying to say is, is, is there a consistency within a certain section of the, the clergy to sell out?
1: Well, Saint Athanasius said that the floor of hell is paved with the skulls of bishops. Now, he yeah. was a saint, he said that because of the behavior of the bishops during the Arian crisis. He was yeah. the only bishop who didn't go sell out to the Arians who were in charge of the empire at that point, and also being promoted by the Jews. The Jews had an obvious stake in this fight because they didn't like the Trinity. And yeah. they saw the Trinity as something that made their uh, their version of monotheism obsolete and superseded. And besides, it was a good way to get back at the Catholic Church, which they perceived as their enemy. So yeah. there's, it's, look, there's there's nothing new under the sun. T- Jesus had 12 followers. They were all bishops, they all became the descent, the uh, what should I say, the uh, the forebearers of the bishops, and one of them yeah. betrayed him. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, What's that's less than ten percent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Compared to really the Aryan crisis, it would have been really good. Compared today, it would be really good. But l- let's face it: the people, the bishop is the man who is between the Catholic faithful and the state. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the man who is called. He's the shepherd. Yeah. The shepherd is the man who stands between the wolf and the sheep. Yeah. And naturally, he's going to be fearful because the state yeah. is a very is a wolf. Yeah. The wolf, the universal wolf appetite. That's the way Shakespeare described this whole the reformation in England. Everything was appetite now, and truth was the opinion of the powerful. And the man who's supposed to stand in the breach is the bishop who's appointed to bishop to protect the flock. Yeah. This this is a this is a crisis uh, of historical proportion. Just, just to get even to the chief shepherd, chief shepherd, the pope. Yeah. When when Rotzinger was elected pope. His prayer was pray that I do not run away when the wolf comes. Yeah. That was his prayer. Mm. That's it. That's in Zevall's biography. I'm not making this up. You can look it up in Peter yeah, Zevall's biography. It does, yeah. yeah. So what happened? When the wolf came, he ran away. He quit. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. now we're suffering because we have a pope who I, who who knows what this man's principles are. But now his cause seems to be uh, uh, lobbying against uh, criminalizing homosexuality. This Pope went to Uganda, a country that was created uh, in reaction to the the king of that country promoting, forcing homosexuality on his courtiers. They refused to obey and they were martyred rather than commit the sin of sodomy. And now the Pope is going there and saying they should decriminalize sodomy. What is yeah. he thinking? This is yeah. just part of the crisis that we're in right now. Now, hmm. there are people who are going to react to this crisis by jumping ship. Yeah, That's not, a good, that's not the answer. Because yeah. we know this has been predicted because it's in scripture. And I'm talking specifically about the parable of Christ asleep in the boat. Yeah, the boat is being tossed about by a storm at sea. That boat yeah. is the church. The storms are the power that the devil still has in this world to disrupt things. When you're in a situation like that, you look around and you think, uh, "We're all going to die."
3: Yeah,
1: and the things got so bad that they go. They went to Jesus Christ and they wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we're all going to die? Yeah. And Christ said, where is your faith? He stands up and calms the storm. Yeah. Our duty, our duty as Catholics is to stay in that boat as yeah. long as the storm is howling around us. Because if you jump out of the boat, you die instantly. Yeah. Your only hope is within that boat. And waiting for the time when Jesus Christ will raise his hand and calm the storm.
3: Yeah, I mean, have you ever uh, read Roy Hattersley's book about, it's called Catholics. And in that book Hattersley, uh, I suppose, infers a doctrine called the doctrine of feasibility. And it was employed an awful lot by the Catholic clergy in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, especially Ireland, and especially with regard to uh, political matters. And um, there seems to be, I think what Hattersley was getting at was that the hierarchy tend not to get involved unless they're going to succeed. If they don't succeed, or they think the uh, political landscape is such that'll actually even make things worse, they tend to stay silent. And we're seeing that here, which I find remarkable because when you think of it, what is the natural law but divine law discoverable through reason? And the church are completely silent. They were. Uh, utterly silent during the same-sex marriage referendum, right. the um, abortion referendum, and they're a silent no again with regard to hate speech. And the problem in Ireland at the moment is that you've got certain communities, you've got rabid anti-Catholic Catholics now in Ireland, but you've got people who are on the, on the defence and we're Catholics and we're trying to persuade people or to, you know, not to fall for the trap of associating a paedophile degenerate uh, with the clergy itself, because no man of the cloth who uh, warrants to rep himself or represent himself as a priest would go off and abuse kids. And of course, we also know that 88 percent of all the abuse ag- around the world was committed on uh, pubescent boys. So it's effectively a homosexual issue. But again, the Irish media, which is rapidly anti-Catholic, have been able to create this false equivalence between these degenerates and the Catholic faith, which means that people who aren't educated don't want anything to do with the Catholic Church. And yet here's an opportunity for the Catholic Church to actually stand for something and they're refusing to do so.
1: Well, I knew I knew uh, Dear McMartin went in Rome when he was an assistant to, Cardinal Gagnon, who was secretary of the Congregation on the Family. I met yeah. with him a number of times, and he always struck me as a, an honest guy and a straight guy. Uh, I don't understand why he didn't have anything to say about something like gay marriage. I mean, to just saying it. I mean, I understand if you're going to call it vincibility, I mean, one of the criteria for the just war theory is prospect for success. Yeah. So, um, Okay, so you don't want to go charge the machine gun nest waving your spear. But we're not talking about some type of insurrection here. We're not talking about the Irish people in 1919 taking up arms against the British Empire. We're talking about proclaiming the gospel. What's that got to do with proclaiming the gospel? You have a duty to proclaim the gospel. You have a duty Mm -hmm. to proclaim the natural law and say to everyone what is obvious that a man can't marry another man. That's impossible. Yeah. And why that didn't happen is something I can't explain. So I think you should bring uh, Cardinal Martin onto your show and ask him why he did it. I don't know why he did it, but I know that this type of silence is absolutely catastrophic for the church. Now, the, the, the you're right about the abuse crisis. It was orchestrated. It was a repeat of what happened in Boston, and Boston was a situation where they had these priests in the '70s who were uh, being praised by the Boston pilot for their unorthodox approach to evangelization that anyone with any sense of right and wrong could have seen. These guys are not, they're into something else that is not a good idea. And lo and behold, they were involved in uh, sexual abuse. Okay. Now, I I met with Cardinal Law before this happened. Okay, I met with him in person. I had just done an article about the chairman of the liturgy department at Notre Dame University. He had been found in the basement of his home, uh, two blocks from where I live, uh, dead, uh, uh, surrounded by uh, whips and chains, homosexual pornography, and automatic weapons. Wow, uh, that doesn't sound good. So no. I wrote an article about it uh, and then presented cardinal law with the article he went up to his room next day he comes down i go up to him and he uh, he said i say to him what'd you think and he said to me what good does this serve why are you airing the church's dirty laundry what good does this serve well cardinal law had to get out of town really fast in a big hurry because the law was after him he ended up in exile at the vatican I never saw him after that, but if I had, I would have gone up to him and said, do you understand now yeah. what goodness would have done? If you had looked into this when I told you to, you might be still, well, he's dead now, but I mean, you could still, you might still be in Boston. They, they refused yeah. to look into it. Even when you told yeah. them, even when you put the evidence in front of them, they refused to look into it. But the point here is even with all that, when it came to Philadelphia, Big uh, clerk, a big Catholic place. I grew up in Philadelphia. The Jewish DA did a grand jury there, got exactly the same results as the Josh Shapiro grand jury, the man who's governor of Pennsylvania now, the exact results that they had in Harrisburg. 300 and some pictures being posted on all of these platforms and the Philadelphia Inquirer, one indictment. Well, why are you publishing the pictures of all of these innocent men? They're innocent until proven guilty, aren't they? Isn't that the law in the United States? Why are you publishing the pictures? Because this is an attack on the Catholic Church. She was not only the the Jewish DAA. She's on the board of the ADL. So obviously she's got an animus against the Catholic Church. And this is the way you wage warfare against the Catholic Church now. Yeah.
3: I suppose returning there to Mid Martin, uh, Dermot Martin actually retired in 2019. And I just draw your attention there to uh, an interview he gave with the Irish Times. And I believe it's one the penultimate question that was posed to him and his answer. The question is, looking back after almost 50 years as a priest, if it was today, would you join the priesthood? And the most senior cleric at the time, Mid Martin in Ireland said, I don't know. The difficulty is that I would have grown up in a very different society. I might have gone in another direction and have nothing to do with the church. Like <laughs> this man, this man well, that, really represents the apathy <laughs> in, the Irish, in the Irish hierarchy.
1: That was an inspiring content, co- uh, comment, wasn't it? I'm exactly. sure that inspired, that inspired a lot of people to, to sign up for the priest. I don't know anything about what happened to him. I don't know anything about what he was involved with in Rome. I don't know anything what happened later, but it sounds as like if he got involved in some bad uh bad things that made him question this whole thing. I did yeah. a, look. I I'm not going to take this man's inventory. I don't know anything about it. I just told you that. But I do know what human nature is like. Yeah. And I know that that positions people who are in positions of power in the church are threatened uh, uh By lots of things. I told you the state is a wolf that's going to attack them for protecting the sheep. And yeah. you can attack people in various ways. And one of them is to uh, get them to engage in deviant sexual behavior. And that's yeah. uh, the book I wrote. It's called Libido Dominandi Sexual Liberation and Political Control. It's an old story, it goes all the way back to Samson and Delilah. Okay, the man that couldn't be beaten in battle got seduced by a woman. And yeah. the Jews uh, learned that a long time ago and they practiced, they've been practicing it ever since, one way or the other. Yeah, Dr. Jones, just but- to
0: maybe take that um, to uh, another thing that's happening in, in Ireland at the moment, and that is uh, the situation with the the uh, RSE programs, relationship uh, and sex education programs that are being rolled out in our schools. I'm not sure if you're aware. What the current situation is but essentially uh there's uh, a lot of material in there around gender ideology um a lot of the books of course are are disturbing and and uh degenerate and uh these books are starting to appear in public libraries as well but a lot of this is kind of coming from um u.n bodies and i suppose uh it's no coincidence really that this this material is coming out at the very same time that they're trying to restrict uh, speech free speech and uh i suppose um if if i could just get you to maybe comment on on one or two things so um uh the, the legislation i don't know if you had a chance to to already kind of take a look at it but basically it it prepares or proposes uh material that is likely so this is the if you have material that prepares or proposes material that is likely to incite violence or hatred against a person or group or persons on account of their protected characteristics or uh, or any of uh uh any other characteristics in relation to gender and then uh, as well this this might be worth commenting on uh because you, you mentioned there the presumption of innocence what this legislation does is the person shall be presumed until the contrary is proved to have been in possession of material in contravention of uh of the legislation so effectively it's reversed the presumption of innocence so uh, i suppose my, my question is if you could just comment on um, if you see a, a, a connection there between what's happening you, you mentioned there in terms of libido dominandi and the sexual liberation well this is this is kind of uh going even further i mean i it's not sexual liberation anymore I, I i think it's uh it's it's gone beyond that if you could comment on that and if you could comment on uh where, what happens when a society goes down this route and what what can we
1: expect okay now what do, the law says what does the law say uh, if this material if it if it uh if it creates what fear or something or or yeah, loathing well, the, or well, exactly. repeat repeat that part of, of, of the law, what you've read yeah. from the law.
0: Sure, so if you have material that prepares or proposes material that is likely to incite violence or hatred against a person Okay, or
1: group- likely, likely to incite violence or hatred. Well, exactly. this seems to me is exactly what uh, this uh, sex ed material is going to do. You're going to incite violence and hatred among the parents whose children are being corrupted. So it seems to me you have a a, a, a way. The way has been open to you to sue the government for uh, sex education as hate speech, go, right? Yes. It fits the law. It fits perfectly with the law, doesn't it? You're inciting violence and hatred among the parents whose children are being corrupted, mm-hmm. right? Am I wrong? Yep, yeah. you're, you're right. You're right. Oh, but wait you're a minute! Right. But wait a minute! Do you think that's going to happen? Someone should try it. Someone should contest this, this this law on those grounds. Say I was inspired. How, how are you going to argue with a parent who's saying he was he he was filled with sen- a sense of violence because mm-hmm. of my children? Because my children should not be subjected to this. How are they going to say no to that? They have mm-hmm. to ban sex education according to their own law. Yes. Yeah. Try it. Yeah. Try it. Or, or, you're not going to go to jail from trying it. I hope. I hope you're not. But because unless you contest that law, uh you're you're done. Because that law can be used to to put anybody in jail. Anybody. So the first more I'm saying it again, the first person to show up to file a case should be a parent who's objecting to sex ed. I suppose can I say something here? I suppose the
3: problem with the West in general at the moment Dr. Jones is as you're well aware of probably, Jean-Claude Hollerich, the cardinal, the Jesuit cardinal from Luxembourg. And in an interview with Vatican Media, he had said that um, church blessings for same-sex unions, which the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith had ruled against, is not a settled matter. And he went on to say that, frankly, the question does not seem decisive to me, Uh, which presupposes that there, I mean, it it used to be, the case that you could rely on the church to at least have your back with regard to uh, prurient issues. But now it seems that there are huge sections of the church that are actually uh, promoting prurience uh, with regard and and via the uh, synod. And we see that operating out of Germany where they're blessing things that are unblessable. I mean, you can't bless sin. It's a contradiction in terms. And uh, The Vatican seemed to be uh, again kind of purposely um, apathetic when it comes to kind of um, railing them in. But this seems to be a kind of a west wide assault on the family. And I know there's been prophecies, uh, Marian prophecies that said the last battle will be the assault on the family. And we're seeing uh, this come to fruition at the moment.
1: Do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I'm, I can comment on both of these both sides of the the story here because I'm half Irish and half German, and all I can tell you to as consolation for the Irish is be thankful you're not German, because it's the worst <laughs> it's the it's the worst country in the world. But yeah. the 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 other part of it is that it's it's understandable in a way in in Germany that it is not in Ireland. Okay, and I'm talking about the fact that Germany lost the war. Okay, when Germany lost the war, they were subjected to the most ruthless regime of social engineering in human history at a time when nobody even knew what social engineering was. Nobody knew this. Nobody knew what this was. They knew they were a conquered people. They knew that there, there was a Jew in America called Morgenthau who was planning to starve them to death. Uh, a warehouse is full of food and the Americans are not letting the Germans get access to them. The hero of that hour was Cardinal Frings of Cologne who stood yeah. up to the Allies, completely prostrate. All he had was the spiritual authority that went with, with being Cardinal Archbishop of Cologne. And he stood right. up to the Americans and told the German people, if there's a warehouse down the street, break into it and take the food. It's not theft. Blame it yeah. on me, but that's yeah. not theft. Now that man was equally, equally adamant when it came to the Americans flooding Germany with pornography. Yeah. After that after the Morgenthau plan failed. After the the adults in the room realized we need Germany as a bulwark against the Soviet Union, they brought the Marshall Plan in, and that was a different operation, but the object was still the destruction of the German people, not by starving them to death, but by corrupting in their morals. And yeah. Frings knew that and he supported the Legion of Decency, it was called the Volksfront in Germany, and he was uh, fighting A valiant battle, and then suddenly, there's an announcement from Rome. There's going to be a second Vatican Council. Now, this Frings Frings is an old man at this point, and he goes to this conference. There's a talk, and he's thinking, "I can't do this. I'm blind. I can hardly hear. I'm supposed to be at the council. I need an assistant." He goes to this conference in Bonn, and there's this brilliant guy giving a speech, and his name is Joseph Ratzinger yeah and he goes up to ratzinger afterwards and says i need a peritos i want you to come to rome with me and ratzinger did and that was a crucial turning point in the history of the church after world war 2 i'm saying it was the crucial turning point i'm talking about vatican ii everybody realizes that was something that was a big deal okay but why was it a big deal ratzinger goes down there he was 17 years old when the war ended he goes down there And he throws out all the preliminary documents that were written by Cardinal Ottaviani, which were a sophisticated analysis of how Italy was being ground to dust between two millstones, one called the Soviet Union, the other called the United States of America. And the worst of the two was the United States of America. Communism, capitalism, whatever you want to call it, it was crushing Italy as a Catholic culture. Yeah. That document got thrown out and instead we got Rothinger talking about we don't want to be negative anymore. We want to be positive. All of this type of stuff. We don't want to dwell on the past because he had internalized the commands of his oppressors and felt that the Germans were guilty of uh, uh, uh incalculable crimes. It was later known as the Holocaust. Okay? He 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 did this. Those documents. He got those documents thrown out in 1964, using Frings as his mouthpiece. Yeah. He was a hero. Nobody knew who Ratzinger was until he did this, but at this point, everybody thought Frings was speaking and that he was a hero in World War II, and maybe we better look at what he's saying, and they got thrown out at the very moment that the yeah. conspiracy to overturn obscenity laws reached its high point in Germany. It was orchestrated by a Jew by the name of Harry Schein, Ingmar Bergman and Olaf Palma the 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 vehicle was Ingmar Bergman's film The Silence and it broke up broke the back of obscenity laws in Germany and the result was the collapse of sexual morals Germany is now flooded with pornography and the church is rolling over and playing dead because hey we want to be positive we have nothing yeah. to fear from the modern world. Those Germans, I don't know. I, 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 I spoke with Rod a number of times. I wish I could talk to him now because I'd like to say to him, "What do you think about what you did? What do you think about Schmutz und Schund?" That yeah. was the term that I used. It, it, it roughly translates as filth and smut. Yeah. Those, those Germans of that generation cringed. They cringed when they heard words like that. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And as a result, they rolled over and played dead and handed Germany over to the social engineers. And that's why that place is such a disaster right now, to this day. Well, we're not that
3: far behind, Dr. Jones, because recently at a Sinn Féin or and bear in mind Sinn Féin used to be a party and with a, a particular paramilitary wing, used to protect Catholics up in the North. But in their latest uh, Ardesh, they said that uh, Panty Bliss, who is a uh, a guy who dress a man who dresses up effectively like a female hooker, is the personification of modern Ireland. And uh, this okay, is where Ireland
1: is now. This is this is exactly what happened to the left. The left all became involved in sexual issues. They all signed on as basically proxy warriors for the oligarchs. It was Michel Foucault who did it And now it's it's been a catastrophe because the left is every bit as they they don't have any principles. That's yeah. that's the problem here. What did what? How did this how did this group get started? Was it in protest against the English rule in Northern Ireland or protecting Catholics? There? Where however they got started, they're ending up as proxy warriors for the oligarchs. Because anyone who says this to you, anyone who proposes. Sex education, anyone who approves of transgenderism or any of these abominations is working for the oligarchs. You don't need a message from anybody. As soon as you hear this, you know who they're working for and you know you have to work against them if you want to free up your country.
3: Well, the leader of Sinn Féin in the Republic is a... um, She wasn't always a Sinn Féiner. She came from a rival party... She ha- is effect. She went to privately educated school in Dublin. Yet she calls herself a Marxist, exceptionally pro-abortion, and the leader in the six counties of Sinn Fein is also a woman and also very pro-abortion. But I would understand that Sinn Fein really changed during the um, nine or the nineteen nineties and beyond. When up to that point, they used to get a lot of uh, singular. Donations from ordinary private citizens in America, but during a certain period—I can't remember the exact dates—that suddenly they started getting these corporate um, donations, and ever since then they became exceptionally woke and globalist. Um, right,
1: right. I, I, I was—I met with uh, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly when I was in uh, Tehran. We travelled around Tehran. Mick yeah. kept asking this this uh, this young uh, Iranian lady where we could find a get a drink. You know, I said Mick, she'll end up hanging from a lamppost if she gets you a drink, so don't do it. But anyway, the We had a nice conversation. I, I enjoyed being with them. But uh, the question I'd like to ask them is, what? How do you? How can you fit Marxism into together with abortion? They are completely contradictory. If you go back to the beginning of this battle, it was between Malthus and Godwin. That's where this, this story started. Malthus came up with the idea of uh, f- uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the overpopulation uh, being inevitable by looking at Ireland, okay? It's wow. not inevitable, okay? Because people, labor is the source of all value. Karl Marx said that. If labor is a source of all value, you cannot have overpopulation. That was the battle between Godwin and Malthus at the beginning. Why are these left-wingers supporting abortion? That's yeah. completely contradictory to everything that Marx believed. I
2: anyway,
1: suppose. In, in you, guys, state, you guys. Sorry, uh, anyway, I I, I, I got to get off. I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I hate to leave, but I have to leave. Anyway, it's been great talking to you guys. I hope we can do this again.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Thank, Dr. You, Dr. Jones.
1: Thank you. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.
3: So that was Dr. Jones. We we'll just finished there, maybe. Um, we have a few minutes. Do you want to discuss anything, Lance, before we sign off?
2: <laughs> well, that was uh, Dr. Jones at his finest. Um, I didn't get to actually ask him any questions or, or have, you know, fan out at him, um, because he he was on fire, and I'd rather listen to him than listen to myself asking silly questions. But um, if, I you think, were,
0: if you if uh, you were to ask my question, Mark, you well, the question
2: if, I would have asked him is the same question I, I asked Father She is like, what do you say to Catholics who are confronted with this desperate situation? How do you inspire them? And I think he's basically said that by staying on keeping the faith, staying on the bark of St. Peter. And yeah. I think he's he, he's righteous in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was a fantastic conversation overall. I enjoyed listening um, and hopefully he will come on again because there are a couple of questions I would ask him in terms of, um, because I'm basically because of him, um, because I saw him on Owen Benjamin, uh, on, on Benjamin's channel way back in 2018. He was the first Catholic that had that fire that I, yeah. that I hadn't seen in, in, in a while. I was sick of the cafe Catholics. And when I was converting um, or coming back to God, I was I was almost down the Protestant route. But um, thanks to Dr. Jones, um, he, he inspired me to follow the Catholic yeah. faith. And, and here I am now stuck with you guys. But, uh no overall i think it's um that's, what, fantastic. that's it's yeah that's exactly it for my penance but no overall i i, I was very impressed with that and uh, it was a short time we do have to get him on again because he, i think he is he is definitely um hitting the nail on the head when it comes to what's going on here in ireland yeah. and what's going what's happening to the faithful yeah
0: credit yeah. you leave any well, I, 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 there was one question I, I would have liked to have wedged in. You might have covered it at the beginning, beginning. Um, but um, in the, I know you were bringing up our constitution there, and 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 that was great to get his take on uh, on the natural law. But the provision for freedom of speech in our constitution is, of course, limited by morality. And I kind of would have liked to have gotten his thoughts on how do you how do you. Uh, because obviously we've got a, a twisted uh, sense of morality if we believe that these RSE programs and and um, the way we've conducted ourselves over the last number of refer- referendums. Um, yeah. So how do we how do we straighten out that morality? And um, I so well, we already kind of know the answer there, but I, I just wanted him to kind of um, to, to verbalize it, you know.
3: Well, there's a huge blind spot, and we've mentioned that so many times on on our podcasts that you know. The media have played a blinder, really, the establishment have played a blinder with regard to the Catholic faith, because we've often um, intimated that many people, for whatever reason, almost think that our Catholic faith uh, only goes back to 1950s Ireland. And we've lost an awful lot of our history. And when you lose your history, you forget our martyrs and what people had to go through to preserve that faith. and. i do think that uh you know it's it's very hard to maintain a moral framework when one of the major pillars that would uh allow that uh morality to be preserved is either inactive at the top or is in practiced at the bottom and um that that's a major problem and now i know things are changing but you know i don't know did you miss this credit but i was trying to make the point that you know there's been opportunities here for the church to stand up and and be courageous uh oh, i didn't yeah. get the i didn't get the opportunity to say it about covid i actually wanted to say to dr jones that when he was on about the pornography in germany like it was easier to access pornography here than to go to mass during the COVID, mm-hmm. uh which says a whole lot um essential services and
2: it's, it still is by the way yeah. that hasn't yeah. changed yeah
0: scourge that it is. Jeanette. Well anyhow lads will we uh, close it out with a prayer. Yeah Join
3: do you want to say uh, a prayer there Freda, and do we we'll close it out?
0: Yeah. We'll maybe okay. do um do a uh, an Ave particular yep. spirit of sancti amen. Ave Maria gratia, plena, Dominus take benedictus fructus ventus to
2: Saint you. Oliver Plunkett, Saint. No